welcome to yet another episode of the Lions Led by Donkeys. Another. I'm Joe, as always, and with me is the booted wonder Nick. Yes. Out of, out of a cast into a boot, uh, moving on up in the world. I could move my ankle just a little bit. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> it's all about the little things. Uh, yeah, pretty he, much. He took his boot off before we started. And uh, it's it's always nice to see uh, a cleanly shaved leg just below the knee and nowhere else. <laughs> yeah, you really tell. Just gotta make it silky smooth. Uh, yeah, now it's starting to get all prickly and. <laughs> That's gonna be it so. Almost makes me want to shave again, dude. It's gonna make it's gonna be so itchy as it's growing within the boot. Yeah, I know. It's gonna be miserable. <laughs> I had to take the sock off because I'm cleaning it, and I had to come here, and I was like, "Fuck!" Looks like I had to go like socklet, sockless in the boot. He had to raw dog the boot. Yeah, pretty much. Don't worry, I keep my house hospital sterile with three dogs worth of hair. Yeah. Just random beer bottles everywhere. Uh, I threw my back out today doing nothing uh, because that is apparently what it is like to be now that I'm 31 years old. Existing. Yeah, just existing is enough to throw my shit out. Uh, But what we were talking about today is... The kamikaze. Mm, yes. What What did you know about, like, what was your perception of the Japanese kamikazes of World War II uh, before going into this? No fucks given. Uh, more fucks need think. Uh, I actually originally had this episode planned to be Axis suicide weapons in general because, like, uh, the Nazis. Oh, yeah, the Germans had one. Yeah, the Nazis had a manned missile that they thought of. They never used it because... Uh, well, the Germans also used to ram bombers. Yeah, yeah. Uh, well, the the Nazis had a plan to strap someone into a missile and strap it to a bomber and then uh, just like yeet it at something. Uh, but then they didn't really have a whole lot of volunteers because blowing yourself up isn't exactly uh, a German military tradition. And they didn't um, – martyrdom wasn't exactly uh, idealized in the German military like it was the Japanese. So it didn't really take – um, Kamikaze, on the other hand, definitely took off, and they did uh, a whole lot of damage for uh, for the little amount of training and technology that went into their creation. Yeah. Um, now, the reason why we're covering this is because one, kamikazes are fucking rad, and two, uh, there's a lot of incredibly common misconceptions that surround the concept of the kamikaze. Um. Those misconceptions have have kind of wormed their way into academics, um, and and pop ac- academics, I'll call it, because a lot of the misconceptions I remember vividly from growing up watching like the History Channel before it was all about aliens. I guess they call it the Hitler Channel then because it's not the World War II stuff. Um, it's better than fucking still better than aliens. stars and aliens. Yeah, every pawn shop show has to be named after a fucking porn. Yeah. Also, one of them ended up being a child molester. So there's that. Like, maybe don't put gross pawn shops on TV. Yeah. But um, one of those misconceptions is they were all just volunteered to die and ready to die for the glory of the emperor, which was not true, uh, which we will get into. But to get there, we have to kind of chart the path of how Japan got in such a place where they thought, Blowing themselves up was like the only option. Um, Honestly, I imagine everybody thinks of it as the opening scene. One of the opening scenes to Pearl Harbor when the Japanese bombed Pearl Harbor. Right. And it does show some of them crashing into targets. It does. That's where... That, that, on the other hand, was normal. It was. But what I'm thinking is what they're thinking. Like, oh, man, look at them get ready. They're putting on their... uh, 
their headbands. Right. They're doing the ceremonial stuff. That's a kamikaze. That's what I see. Yeah, and kamikazes didn't even exist yet. No, um, not that early. So before we get started, I have to acknowledge and recognize our sources. Uh, Imiko Onuki Tierney's uh, book, The Kamikaze Diaries, uh, a documentary called Wings of Defeat, where they interview sur- uh, surviving kamikazes, who I'm sure are now long dead, because um, they'd be in their late 90s. Yeah. Um, aerospaceweb.org and the Kaiten Memorial Museum. So, uh, like I said, Kamikaze doesn't even exist yet at Pearl Harbor, uh, but Pearl Harbor is where this all kind of begins uh, because that's obviously where our war began against Japan. Though some would say that we already waged economic warfare against them and gave them no choice but to attack us, but that's a really fucking stupid reason and that's wrong. Uh, <laughs> so to make a long story short, the attack on December 7th, 1941 was meant to cause a crippling strike or crippling damage against the American Pacific fleet. This would stop the Americans from interfering on Japanese expansion throughout the Pacific or what they call the East Asia co-prosperity sphere, which is like what uh, the, the most PR thing that they yeah. could possibly get. No, this is the Japanese empire. This is what we're going to yeah. do. Um, I also meant that uh, it would buy Japan time to prepare for the coming war as a new, uh, such a crushing blow against American morale uh, that the government of FDR would simply give up and strike a compromise peace deal with Japan and stop objecting to Japanese operations in China. Clearly, that's what happened, yeah. right? Yeah. Yeah. Bad idea. Uh, now, to a lot of Japan's military's credit, a lot of them said that was dumb and we shouldn't do it. Uh, but a lot of them went along with it, too. Um, Did they have a choice to go no, no. Um, like, I, I believe it was the the guy who led the attack on Pearl Harbor is like, this isn't going to work. <laughs> uh, it turns out he was right. Um, At least he was honest. That's good. Yeah. Uh, Japan wanted to destroy as many battleships as possible, as battleships at the time were considered the prestige of any navy. Uh, one could argue that they succeeded in those goals. Uh, they attacked, killed 2,400 Americans, sank numerous ships, and destroyed nearly 200 aircraft. One thing they did not destroy, because they're not there, was the U.S. Pacific Carrier Fleet. They were there earlier, weren't they? They left to go on uh, ah, on yes. maneuvers, and the commander of the attack said, we need to find those aircraft carriers, and he was kind of waved off. Uh, now, on to 1942 and the Battle of Midway. I will obviously not be uh, covering this battle in full. Uh, you can probably hear us yell, yell about that soon when this horrible movie comes out that they're basing on Oh my on God, I want to see it so bad. <laughs> it's going to be terrible. I know it's going to be terrible. Uh, God. Just know that American code breakers had managed to crack the Japanese plans for the attack into the area. Uh, it would be a preparatory strike and further advances on Fiji, Samoa, and Hawaii. They cracked the codes so well that they knew the exact time, date, and location of the coming attack, so the U.S. Navy planned an ambush. The Battle of Midway were the Japanese carriers Akagi, Kaga, and Soryu, and Hiryu, uh, which just so happened to be part of the same six-carrier force that attacked Pearl Harbor, uh, would meet their demise. For, for their 200 plans, over 3,000 Japanese naval personnel would be killed in the battle. So it was a, it was a pretty, pretty big loss yeah. for them. Uh, now, the Battle of Bin- uh, Midway has been uh, ranked... As such a masterpiece of naval warfare, it's uh, held alongside like Trafalgar and Tsushima as the greatest battles of all time, and it generally considered one of the turning points of the entire Pacific War. Uh, now, it's all those things if you're American. If you're Japanese, the Battle of Midway was an unmitigated disaster likes have never been seen. Uh, while a lot of people like to look at the fact that they 
lost four carriers is a devastating loss. There is a bit more to it than that. Outside the carriers, Japan lost thousands of skilled naval uh, naval technicians and trained aircraft mechanics. They lost so many pilots in one day uh, that they actually lost more pilots than they had trained an entire year before leading up to the war. Um, So it's a pretty fucking steep loss. Yeah. I I don't know exactly how many pilots they trained in the last year because I couldn't find that that number, but it was less than 200. Yeah. now, a lot of that has to do with inter-branch rivalry within the Japanese Navy and Air Force, which could be an episode unto itself, and the just sheer amount of attrition that their pilot program had. Um, it was obscenely uh, difficult, and um, if you failed, it was one of those things that like, you know, so in the, in, the, in our army, we have this thing called recycle. Well, you'll just recycle through until you oh, learn something, fuck. and, you know, you'll try again, and in the pilot programs for Japan, that just didn't happen. Like, oh, you fucked. Go back to the infantry or go wherever. You know, you, you obviously can't be a pilot. Yeah, that, so like, that blows. Yeah, so like literally the, only the best of the best would graduate before uh, the war. That changed significantly. Yeah, I imagine they'd start recycling. <laughs> um, now, uh, making things worse was losing hundreds of aircraft. It was It was just not something Japan's war economy was prepared for. Um, as its industry had already began to waver under the the, the weight of waging a three front war at this point, because they're they've already uh, engaged to the north and not and they've been invade they've invaded China for years before they are now invading the South Pacific and now they're attacking the United States. So, and, and one of the main reasons why Japan went to war against the United States was the uh, the United States was obviously against their expansion into China. Um, so they cut off oil and um, and precious metals and stuff like that. Yeah. Uh, so one of their main oil exports uh, is now fighting you, and you're like, time to ramp up production. Like you're gonna hit a wall somewhere. Yeah. <laughs> the the amount of of dumb people within the Japanese military and government at the time is pretty impressive because it's obvious they never listened to anybody other than their own little circles, and. I wanted to go in a little bit about Japanese politics at the time, but it's fucking impenetrable. Um, I'm, I'm going to try to talk to a, a Japanese history PhD that's a fan of the show, and maybe she can explain it to me better. But I read the entire book on it um, called The End of the Rising Sun, and it makes no fucking sense whatsoever. <laughs> like, there was, there was numerous coups and attempted coups before, during, and after the war. Really? Uh, with it, with um, different parts of the Japanese military. I only know of one. Yeah, the one at the very end. Yeah. Where they tried to keep the emperor from surrendering. Yeah. There was a lot. Uh, really? And there was a lot I of like didn't know that. numerous people who came to power because somebody else died or was murdered or assassinated or whatever. Um, it's convoluted as shit. Just just know that the Japanese government at the time was not controlled by the emperor almost at all. <laughs> Though there was a part of the military who did want to give absolute power back to the emperor. Uh, but yeah, it, it, it's really complicated. Um, so... Japan had to find out a way to adequately train new pilots, uh, or at least to the same standard that they'd once been. They quickly found out that it was just not possible for the sheer amount of people that they needed. Yeah, uh, Flight training was cut drastically, sometimes just in half. <laughs> for somebody flying a plane. Yes. And, mm-hmm. and yeah, planes were rudimentary back then, but, but they were still a fucking plane. Yeah. <laughs> like, you're, you're defying gravity. And like, you you're have to teach them how to target and shoot things in the air and drop bombs kind of accurately like more than so 
It was, so I, I couldn't find the exact schematics and layout and logistics of the Japanese uh, training programs before the war. But what I did find was American ones. Uh, a normal American naval pilot would get around 600 hours or more of training. Um, now, sometimes they'd get even more than that uh, before they end up getting deployed. Um, Japanese pilots got their training cut down to 200 hours, sometimes less. Sometimes they weren't even trained how to land correctly. Oh, okay. <laughs> we'll fix the wheels. Just go. You, you'll learn. Just aim yeah. towards the ground. <laughs> uh, this put even more stress on veteran Japanese pilots who had survived battles like Midway. Um, like, And there wasn't a lot of them. There was a couple hundred, but they were dropping like flies because right. they're, they're the ones that who continued to survive based on their good training and experience while the other shitty trained pilots really didn't get a chance to build it. Uh, that was a battle that was so catastrophic to, for the Japanese military, it became known as the Great Marianas Turkey Shoot, otherwise known as the Battle of the Philippine Sea. This destroyed three more Japanese aircraft carriers, around 600 planes, and another 3,000 naval personnel. From then on the war, the Japanese Navy would be in a position of total desperation, with little hope of regaining the upper hand. Um, now, the idea of suicide attacks by Japanese pilots was nothing new. Um, it was something of a normal tactic, if a bit desperate, right. uh, for a pilot whose plane was badly damaged and uh, or so badly damaged it couldn't return home or they're running out of fuel, like what you probably saw in uh, Pearl Harbor. I think I remember that. I, I do my best to not remember anything about that fucking movie. Uh, but it was pretty common for them to not bail out if they were over enemy territory. They would just crash their plane into targets that that looked like they could fuck them up there at the last second. Right. Uh, and they weren't the only people who did that. There's actually accounts of allied pilots doing the same thing. I believe if, it. Yeah. That, that's a lot more common uh, in the Pacific theater than Europe um, because there was, unless you were of a certain persuasion, in, in Europe, allied prisoners were generally treated pretty well unless you were Russian or Soviet in general or right. a Jew. Um, you had a much higher chance of survival, right? Being treated fine. Uh, Pacific, not so much. So people had a tendency to be a little bit more desperate about the whole thing. Yeah. Which I don't blame them. For instance, they once almost ate a president of the United States. Uh, have you ever heard that story? What? Uh, so I, I, so who, it, ate, who ate? It was future president George Herbert Walker Bush. His plane oh. crashed into the uh, into the ocean. Or no, sorry, his plane was shot out of the air. He was in a bomber crew, I believe. I think it... Was he a Dauntless crew? I don't know. Oh. Uh, and he bailed out, but the rest of the crew didn't. He landed in the ocean and was picked up by a passing naval uh, vessel. The rest of his crew crashed onto an island that was controlled by the Japanese, where they were then proceeded to be slowly executed and eaten. Like, they put tourniquets on people's arms, cut oh. their arm off, eat it, and then keep that guy alive. You got to keep the pantry going. <laughs> like, you got to keep the meat fresh. Yeah. Um. So, the idea of an instituted, trained squadron of suicide attackers, or kamikaze, uh, didn't really come up till 1944. Uh, and one man named Captain Okaharu Akamura, uh, he proposed a bold new innovation in the realm of Japanese pilots killing themselves. He did it for brownie points. These guys have got a, got a great idea. Our pilots already are, are fine with crashing into people. Let's strap bombs to their ass. So he said, quote, What if he had to put up some type of ideas and he didn't have them at all? 
because you know he got he partied the night before. Yeah. So he didn't have anything prepared for the next day's meeting. So when that meeting came up, he's like flipping through shit. Uh, this. Uh, let's crash into boats. Great idea. Fuck. <laughs> oh god, I don't have to do this. I'm not a pilot. I'm good. Yeah. Uh, yeah, he's. It's like a, a synergy meeting, and everybody's throwing ideas out. Let's up draft numbers. Let's come up with a new rifle. Kids, Pl- planes. <laughs> Plane bombs. What? <laughs> uh, he said, quote, In our present situation, I firmly believe that the only way to swing the war in our favor is to resort to crash dive attacks with our planes. There's no other way. There will be more than enough volunteers for this chance to save our country. (laughs) And I would like to command such an operation. Provide me with 300 planes and I will turn the tide of the war. Spoiler alert. (laughs) They still lost. (laughs) No tide was turned. Uh, But because he's a captain, Akamura would not get to be the one that created the first Kamikaze Squadron. It is kind of a nice thing that the Imperial Japanese military is a lot like our own. And junior people ideas would just be stolen by somebody else. <laughs> uh, I'm not saying suicide attacks are cool or anything, but credit where credit is due is all I'm saying. Like, yo, Akamura gave me the idea. And it's like some admiral's like, boys, I got an idea. Yeah, this is mine. Now, this is where a lot of the, the, the popular misconceptions come into play. Almost nobody thought this is a good idea. <laughs> really? <laughs> yeah. Everybody's like, that's a fucking waste. Why would we do that? We don't even have pilots, you fucking idiot. Uh, I mean, Japan was already very, very low on pilots and planes, and they were struggling to uh, replace the losses of those planes. And their plane quality got significantly worse as the war went on for that exact reason. Like, they couldn't manufacture small parts very well anymore, so they're going to switch out for this new part that broke a whole lot more because they have no materials. Uh, like... Fuel was short, so they're like, "Well, we don't have, we can't have any offensive attacks anymore. We only can fly above our own cities in defense because we don't have enough gas to leave the island." Shit like that. Um, I mean, why the fuck would they be in a position Who to start? Proved f- it. <laughs> well, that's the thing. They eventually did. Um, I mean, they were not in a position to start flinging planes at American ships with absolutely no, no chance of getting them back. That's when. Uh, Eventually, Vice Admiral Takajira Onishi was given permission to find volunteers. Like, fuck it. If people want to do this, let's give it a shot. Uh, <laughs> for what would become known as the Special Attack Force. Nice. Formed at Mabalot Air Base in the Philippines. Um, so, Onishi approached 23 pilots of the 204th Flying Corps and asked if they would like to volunteer. For what? Uh, well, they he he told them what their mission would be. Like, you're going to crash your shit and die. Like, that's what you're going to do. And he asked if he wanted to volunteer for it. Onishi told the men that their commander, a guy named Sakai Yamamoto, had totally approved and encouraged his men to volunteer. It turned out Yamamoto was actually in a hospital in Manila and had no idea that his men were being talked into killing themselves. <laughs> Jesus. And, I mean, it's hard to, like... As an American, if my commander said, yeah, my, my captain really wants everybody to volunteer to kill themselves, I'd be like, fuck that guy, no. <laughs> yeah. like the, but that's that's the difference in military and civilian cultural cultures were at the time. Society can, is, was so much Very different true. in Japan at the time that it's hard to comprehend. Um, people had been taught that, especially in the military, if your supervisor says something, or uh, it, it should be treated uh, with like the utmost respect, right? It's a shame culture, and it still kind of is. No, yeah, Japan is a more 
disciplined culture. Very much so. If and you go military, to Korea and oh, yeah. Japan, there's a total difference between the two for a reason. Japan is really disciplined. Like, even their civil society, like, their trash system is to a fucking science. It's oh, you mean so they just don't, strict. They just don't like, have holy like fuck. some shitty privatized company, which uh, in our area is known as LeMay, by the way. Uh, they can go fuck themselves. <laughs> uh, just going to come by and kick your trash can over. Like, we didn't pick it up because it's laying outside. Yeah. <laughs> I watched him do it. <laughs> <laughs> he dropped it trying to pick it up and then just drove away. Oh, dick. <laughs> yeah. I had literally, it was like a little thing hanging out, a little piece of a tr- the trash bag hanging out. Yeah. They said, couldn't pick it up trash hanging out the side <laughs> like you fucks if i remember correctly from my very very limited time in asia uh japan employs a large amount of people to sweep and mop the street yes <laughs> i saw that but they're just so disciplined there to the point where they don't want tattoos no rough like nothing is su- it's super weird other cultures just so much different yeah. and i mean it, it is engineered to uh, a lot uh, it, it's engineered to to kind of force people into uh, doing a lot of shit they don't want to do. Overworking. and Oh, to the point they die. Yeah. There's even a, like the condition has a name. I forget exactly what it is, but uh, it's engineered to the point that dissent is, is not just frowned upon. It's simply like taboo. And you can amplify that by a thousand in the 1940s. And the government instituted that into schools to train people to be that way. Which is why, long story short, the kamikaze were peer pressured into killing themselves, yeah. is what I'm trying to say. But totally still love Japan. I'd go back. No, I'd totally go. Yeah. yeah. I, I, I believe we made plans to go at some point yeah, in the future. But We did. Um, so here's where things start to get weird. It is almost universally taught um, in popular media that kamikazes were volunteers. Um, and that's kind of true, and it's kind of not. Um, as the Japanese propaganda machine back home, uh, and definitely the attitude at the front, was was the message was sacrifice for the emperor and your homeland. That part is true. Right. They were attempting and largely did succeed in creating a culture of sacrifice, which is why I said um, uh, you know the, the the Nazi version of a kamikaze didn't pan out because they're like. That's not really German. That's not German thinking is to blow yourself up for your government. Yeah. Um, and they didn't really breathe that into people quite yet. Maybe if they had another 10 years or something, they would have flipped the switch. Yeah, instead of a thousand years. Yeah. Instead of fighting for the for your Fuhrer, die for him instead. Because that that is what um, what I read in, in the Kamikaze Diaries. One of the things uh, stood out is the first thing that you're taught in Japanese military basic training is not how to kill. It's how to die. Really? Literally the first training they had is how you kill yourself with a bayonet. Or how to blow your head the off with a rifle. first thing to do? One of the first things they learned. So you would learn how and why to die way before you learn how to soldier. So, I mean, it, it's, it's always there. Okay. Um, now, the amount of which enlisted soldiers actually believe this uh, is, is to be debated. Um, for instance, officers were asked to lead these suicide units. Like there'd be lieutenants in charge of an air wing of, of kamikaze pilots. Um, now, it's important to note insubordination within the Japanese military was met with extreme violence. Um, 
actually didn't really even have to be insubordinate to be greeted with brutal violence. It's just a measure of discipline. Um, It was considered and it was taught that to shirk your duty uh, as given to you by your commander was incredibly shameful. Uh, A good example of this is one Lieutenant Yukio Sakai, who is a very well-known flying ace, like almost uh, celebrity level in Japan at the time. Like everybody knew who this guy was. Yeah. Um, he was asked to lead a kamikaze attack. Kind of to, br- I think it was to bring PR to the whole thing. Like, that makes sense. You know, this lieutenant yeah. who everybody, it would be like asking if, uh, I, I don't know, a, a rock star to be a suicide bomber. Like Scott Stapp. I mean, at first you'd probably be like, Scott Stapp blew himself up. Like, wait, who's that? He's the Creed guy. And they'd be like, he would probably blow himself up. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like, it's, it makes a lot of sense. It's this, it, it's the Japanese version of Creed. Of, God, I would not wish. I would not <laughs> I would wish that. that being nuked is le- is le- is less bad Uh-oh. than being than being forced to listen to Creed. <laughs> like you have to listen to was it uh, human clay or just get wiped off the face of the planet by a nuclear bomb? Like please just wash me with warm nuclear hellfire. <laughs> um, also, I just remembered one of their album names. Please kill me. <laughs> uh, but it's a, it's a lot like the the what the U.S. did with Hollywood stars during World War II. Like he enlisted. Oh yeah, Clark Gable. Yeah, there's a lot, and there's a couple of them who really did go out and do soldier stuff. But like, yeah, he they they wanted an ace to be a kamikaze to drive more volunteers. How to work? Uh, not well. Uh, they they filled the ranks, but I'll tell you how. <laughs> now, Lieutenant Seki himself absolutely didn't want to do it. This is horse shit. <laughs> but because he's being asked by his commander to do so, he, he according to Kamikaze Diaries, he closed his eyes, sighed, and forlornly answered, quote, please appoint me to this post. Now, later on when talking to a war correspondent when he was hours away from flying to his death and didn't really give a fuck anymore, he said, quote, Japan's future is bleak if it's forced to kill one of its best pilots. And then continued on to say, I'm not going on this mission for the emperor or the empire. I'm going because they fucking ordered me to. <laughs> That's awesome. It should be noted that kamikaze pilots got to drink quite a bit before they went on their flights. Yeah. <laughs> In fact, this shit was so unpopular that not a single officer that was recorded by the kamikaze diaries or by the documentary that I noted uh, would ever go on to actually volunteer to lead a kamikaze mission. Now, a lot of them did volunteer. They did not go on mission. There's a lot of people who volunteered to become kamikaze. Volunteer for just to say they did. There's a lot of people ended up um, goes on my record. Well, there's a lot of people end up volunteering and then would use connections to just never go on a flight. So they could say that they were kamikaze. What kind of connections do you need? High up ranking officers. My daddy. And remember, this is an empire. They had peerage, so they like they knew a guy who was in the imperial court, something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, no actual commissioned officer who is not commissioned for the sole purpose of volunteering yeah. for a kamikaze mission, which I will talk about in a bit, volunteered to go on a kamikaze mission. Um, and in the jet, so you have to wonder, like, Seki knew this is bad. And yes, violence it would be greeted upon him if he was like, I don't want to do it. Sure, get your ass up, but you're not going to die. But outright insubordination was almost universally dealt with by immediate execution by the Imperial Japanese military. Um, there's a common belief dating back to the Edo period that um, if you were guilty of something as shameful as disregarding a direct order from your superior, 
that five generations of your family could be punished as well. Cool. Yeah. That's a lot. Which is something that kind of North Korea does today. Yeah. It's like guilt by blood. Nice. Uh, so, and I couldn't find anything. They actually said that they did this, but they it, it was enough that they believed it. You know, something doesn't have to be true. It's like the Fort Knox of punishments. Everybody believes that it's incredibly well defended and like there's gonna be a SWAT team up your asshole if you take a picture of it. In reality, it's a whole bunch of old fucking treasury guys who are asleep. I I drove on to Fort Knox nothing but a dog tag once. It, it's theater is what it is. Yeah. But it was enough to scare these guys. Um, so the first kamikaze strike set out on October 25th, 1944 in a vain attempt to repel the American invasion of Leyte, an island in the Philippines. Uh, before taking flight, they're giving a ceremonial sash that was uh, sewn with uh, like a piece of thread from like thousands of different women as a sign of good luck and a shot of sake and sent on their way. Uh, now, uh, a lot of the videos that you see shows people um, like cheering uh, for the emperor and then jumping in their planes. A lot of the people had to be carried out of their planes because their nerves just would not allow them to actually get behind the controls. Oh. They're like, they're like, fuck, I don't want to die. And their bodies would just refuse to work. So like they'd have seconds, almost like a squire that would like pick them up and carry them over to their plane. Body crew. <laughs> yeah. Uh, the lieutenant passed out. Uh, go ahead and get the body crew. Just <laughs> yeah. eat them into the cockpit. Hut, 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 hut. <laughs> uh, now, as you can imagine, the Americans they are attacking were totally unprepared for what was coming for them. Never, yeah, never in their wildest dream, like, those planes aren't even going to shoot at us. Hey, um, is he going to turn? Now, is he going to pull up? He's he's still coming, dumbass. <laughs> oh, wait. Uh, now, like I had pointed out before, these first kamikazes included several actually decent pilots who may have, or may or may not have been shamed in taking part in the mission. So they had a pretty decent idea of how to quickly approach the American ships without immediately being smacked out of the sky. Ugh. The later generations, not so much. <laughs> Many of the pilots flew their planes just above the water, trying to hit the ship at the waterline yeah. to make it sink. Uh, when they attacked aircraft carriers, they dive up into the air and come crashing down on the flight decks. Uh, now, in one case, a plane supposedly being flown by Seki himself slammed right into the deck of the USS Song Lo, a Casablanca-class aircraft carrier, and exploded. It quickly caused the fire to sweep into the ship's magazine, causing the entire ship to explode, killing 133 sailors. And, of course, taking an aircraft carrier out, which is something the Japanese have not really been very good at up until now. Yeah. So, like, oh, shit, that one guy just did something our entire Air Force can figure out. <laughs> now, so and, and they were peer pressured into this. For the most part. Now, there's a lot of, well, I was ordered to go, like, wouldn't you want to volunteer for this? And you're going to be like... Come on, Taisho. Everybody's Fuck. doing it, bro. Come yeah. on. It's kind of like you get voluntold to do something. Somebody yeah. says, hey, sergeant, can you go do this? That's not a question. It's an order framed as a question. <laughs> Most of the time I question it as a question. <laughs> I mean, like, they got voluntold slash peer pressured slash shamed into this. There was some very, there was some actual volunteers. That that needs to be said. There, yeah. it, it wasn't like 100%. It's just like suicide bombers today. A lot of people actually volunteer for it, but there's some people that get peer pressured, tricked, or otherwise conned into killing themselves for something they don't entirely understand. God, that sucks. Yeah, it's not good. Uh, it gets worse because, of course, it does. It's nice. what we do here. Uh, now, 
In the same attack, five ships were sunk, 40 others were hit, 23 of them so badly they had to be pulled back for peril, risk sinking, and hundreds of sailors were killed. Now, this is more damage than the Japanese Navy or Air Force done in a very long time. Oh, so they got good results. How many pilots do you think it took to get rid of all those? Not sure. 55. Ooh. For the cost of 55 people, they did all that damage. Which I believe is more than they did in the Marianas turkey shoot. Very. In short, these poor bastards flinging themselves at the U.S. Navy on a suicide run was the most successful thing the Japanese military has done in years. So now that they got positive off this, they're like, this is a great idea. Right. Like the people who, there's a lot of um, diehards that leading up to like, this is this is it. This has got to be the only way. Just like the kamikaze, which meant divine wind, uh, drove back the the uh, the hordes uh, and saved Japan. Did you the see August winds, the divine winds. <laughs> uh, these divine winds will will push back the Japanese uh, or they'll push back the American fleet. We need to do this, and the fight like fine, whatever, do what the fuck you want, man. But because like if it failed completely, they didn't really lose much. They lost fifty five guys and, and some planes, right? But like it worked. They're like uh, it's like the dog when it catches the car. Like it's chasing cars. Like oh god, I caught it. What now? And they're like, oh, fuck, this worked really, really good. So now we need to get a whole bunch more kamikaze pilots, which, of course, meant they need to find a whole bunch more volunteers, which they didn't have. Yeah. Now, the initial success sold the Japanese military and the need for more of these pilots if they're ever going to hold off the possible and seemingly inevitable invasion of the homelands, which was planned. It's called Operation Downfall. Yeah. And it is fucking apocalyptic. <laughs> One day we'll do an entire episode on, we the, need to. on what that plan looked like and what it would have entailed because it's fucking nuts. Uh, but that came back to the question when they had the first time they went around for kamikaze recruitment. How would they get more volunteers? Well, luckily for the military, the Japanese government had their back. You see, Japan, like most other countries during the war, had draft deferments. One of the draft deferments was for education. Uh, now, much like America, uh, Japan at the time did not have very affordable higher education. So uh, if you were well-to-do, rich, whatever, you, you'd be able to go to school, get a deferment, or at the very least, at the end, you used to be an officer. So a lot of these kids in school were like the upper-class people and because they, they've been being able to dodge drafts for all these years. This is generally how it works. Um, so a lot of the people have been in there for a very long time like, ha-ha, You'll never get me. <laughs> well, since before the war, and only getting worse from then on, Japanese education had morphed into more of a ultra-nationalist, uh, militaristic, d- dystopian nightmare than an actual education system. Mostly because their equally insane education minister, Sado Araki. Now, um, sounds like a dick. He was. Uh, so he actually fully supported Unit 731. <laughs> <laughs> really yeah he was like a vocal supporter of unit 731 he's like this is great torture more people what uh for people who are not aware unit 731 needs to be an episode it will be uh, uh but there it was the japanese military equivalent of all the nazi medical experiments you've heard so much about but worse yes um but we won't go so much in far into his background but just know he's one of the main reasons that the concepts of bushido were introduced into the education structure and uh, once supporting an attempted coup that would have given the Japanese emperor absolute power, uh, he's someone that even Japanese fascists of the time thought was radical. Really? Yeah. It, like the Jap- Japanese fascists like, whoa, bro, you're too far right. <laughs> yeah. 
This guy's fucking crazy. That was the guy in charge of educating Japan's children. <laughs> so you can imagine what their education looked like. Much like we talked about before where they're being it's being beaten into their head about how they need to sacrifice and die. Yeah. Sacrifice and die. Uh, so that is when the government thought of a really good idea to free up a bunch of kids for the draft. Simply eliminate two years from college. Oh. You get to graduate two years early. If you're in those later two years, congratulations, you're graduated. No, you don't have a choice. Here's your college degree. Sweet. Yeah. What do I get? Now those people are all free for the draft. Oh. (laughs) (laughs) Fuck. I have a degree in history. What can I do? Fly this plane into an aircraft carrier, bitch. Ah, damn it. Uh, You'll be in the history books (laughs) while they're fucking giggling at each other. Ah, this fucking guy. Sucker. Now, these new conscripts reached training. They learned the hard way how terrible life was for regular Japanese soldiers. This horrible existence was made even worse by the fact that many of these college-educated conscripts had pretty easy lives up until that point. Japanese training at the time believed that beating soldiers was a key part in developing what is known as a soldier spirit. Mm. Now, in the book uh, Onward to Our Noble Death, which is obviously uh, a graphic novel and not a history book, but it was written by a veteran of the Japanese Imperial Army. And one of the quotes that he says in it is, soldiers are like tatami. They're better once you beat them. God. <laughs> yeah. Uh, to make matters worse, they're being trained by officers and NCOs that had worked their way up through the ranks during the years of Japan's warfare and absolutely hated these college-educated sissies who had shown up to be soldiers. Um. Did you throw sissies in there? Or was that no, that wasn't off? a quote. Yeah, oh, okay. yeah, that wasn't a quote. Um, now, now I have to point out that these guys are not kamikazes yet. I'll, ah. t- I'll tell you how it ended up that way. One man na- named Irokawa Daikichi called it a living hell, saying, quote, After I passed the gate to Tashashira Naval Air Base, training took place day after day. I was struck in the face so hard and frequently that my face is no longer recognizable. On January 2nd, 1945, Ensign Kaneko hit me in the face 20 times and the inside of my mouth was cut in many places by my teeth. I've been looking forward to eating zoni, which is like a special rice dish. Uh, Instead, I was swallowing blood from the inside of my mouth. Yum. Uh, On February 14th, all of us were punished because they suspected that we ate at a farmer's home near the base to ease our hunger. In the midst of a cold winter, we were forced to sit for seven hours on a cold concrete floor and they hit us on the buttocks with a club. Then each of us was called into an officer's room. When my when my turn came, I was soon entered the room. I was hit so hard that I could no longer see and fell on the floor. The minute I got up, I was hit again by a club so that I would confess. A friend of mine was thrown with his head first into the floor, lost consciousness, and was sent to the hospital. He never returned. So, this is just regular basic training. Yeah. You could see how these men would eventually break down pretty quick after this kind of pressure. It's why torture doesn't work. If you treat someone like this for long enough and you ask them a question like, yes, yes, They'll fine, whatever. Fucking, yeah. Yeah, I'll tell you whatever you want, man. Um, this, of course, made them perfect candidates for special attack units. Uh, now, one of these trainee groups would be brought into a large hall altogether. They'd all be sat down and forced to listen for hours of lectures on the virtues of patriotism and sacrifice for the emperor. Uh, Okay, buttering them up. Then they would be told to step forward if they did not want to sacrifice themselves. Step forward in front of the group of their peers and say they did not want to sacrifice themselves. Sometimes this is in reverse. 
where they would step forward if they wanted to volunteer, leaving the non-volunteers sitting by themselves. Either way, you can see how the group dynamic here all but promised absolutely nobody would ever say no. These teenagers who were effectively peer pressured into killing themselves. Now, not to mention that the people around them are probably the only friends that they had left in the world um, since they had left home. Yeah. Most of the kamikazes who left behind diaries point to that nearly all of them simply felt guilty for thinking about saving their own life while their friends volunteered to die. Another interesting thing about these kamikaze diaries, none of them talk about attacking the enemy. Almost none of them talk about why they want to attack Americans or, or why they want to go fight or or that they hate um, that the enemy is attacking their home. None, like virtually none of them talk about the person they're going to go fly a plane into. Yeah, It's all about their duty. It's never about the person they actually want to fight. So that, that tells me that they're more afraid... Of their own government than the army. (laughs) Now, let's say you did have the courage to refuse, and some of them did exist. Your life would immediately become infinitely worse. Now, um, one of the more interesting ways that militaries throughout human history have bred what is now known as spree de corps is by shared suffering and misery. It makes you guys bond together. I've I've been a part of it. You've been a part of it. Anybody who's in the military has been a part of it. Um, And it's engineered that way. It makes everybody closer and it makes things suck less. That's important. Um, So the beating would continue and your starvation rations that you were already living on were cut in half. Oh, cool. You would then be totally shunned by everyone else. So your own peer group that the people you've absolutely been relying on this entire time, gone. You'd then be sent out to the battlefield as infantry where your death was almost guaranteed. Oh, with the army? Yep. Oh, cool. <laughs> I mean, you probably had a better chance of surviving kamikaze missions. Oh, God. Well, all, all options seem to suck. No, there's 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 no good option. There's no good option. Every option is bad. I can see what they're saying. I, I definitely... Ugh. Sometimes... Your courage won't even matter. Say you finally got the the meaty clackers to stand up in your group like, fuck this. I don't want any part of this. Yeah. (laughs) You see, it had become a point of pride for some commanders to report that their entire unit had volunteered. Just look at all these people willing to die for us. That should go on my OER. Now, the problem is they won't even ask their soldiers if they wanted to volunteer or not. They would just volunteer for them. In one case, a guy named Kuroda Kenjiro had been one of two in his group to refuse. Those two were sent back to their ba- their barracks only to find out that uh, the next morning, his name was on the list of volunteer anyway. <laughs> <laughs> what? In another case, Lute- Lieutenant F- Fuji Masaharu had pissed off his commander. Um, now, it doesn't say, his diary never says why. He just stayed a personal disagreement said his name wrong yeah uh only only to find out that his commander ordered him to lead a kamikaze attack on okinawa knowing he couldn't refuse he forced his subordinate to kill himself on okinawa yep how long ago was that 1945 i believe that's far away from where they were yeah um out of the four thousand trained kamikaze during the war virtually all of them would come from this newly conscripted boy pilots uh, Boy pilots. They would eventually become known as the student soldiers, the ones that got uh, their college cut short. Yeah. The sissies? Yep. Oh, okay. 
uh, once selected, they'd undergo more training, which only meant more beatings and more starvation. That's training. How does this make me a better pilot? <laughs> Shut up. I don't have to train you. I only have to teach you half of flying. Yeah. We could ignore the landing part. Uh, the, I mean, there was a kind of a point to this. Not a good one. It was, beatings? Yeah. Uh, they, they thought they had to train them somehow. They didn't have the means to give them more flight training. They had right. no planes and no fuel. So they're like, let's just hit them. fuck we don't have this (laughs) Uh, we do have this rock though we do have to fill up this curriculum somehow this obviously limited their flying time which was about 100 hours or less god I imagine flying was probably the best part of it like oh at least I don't have to worry about crashing and dying they can't hit me while I'm flying Um, now this flight training, like I said, is now 100 hours or less. Taught them how to aim for certain parts of enemy ships, do the most damage, as well as to not sacrifice themselves if they didn't think that they'd hit a target. Um, now, their their brochure or their flight manual said, quote, a pilot should not waste his life lightly. Uh, however, showing up back at base more than a few times is a bad idea. <laughs> <laughs> you just go there and see everybody go and turn around. Be like, well... <laughs> Tried. One pilot returned less than no, uh, no less than nine times and was shot on the flight line and returned his last time. Oh fuck! Other, That's a little suspicious. Other nine kamikazes times? in their diary admitted for simply aiming for the water and to skip across, hoping they'd survive and get captured. <laughs> <laughs> well, this, I want to skip this bitch like a rock. My whole thing was this dude came in nine times, being like, these guys aren't going to suspect a fucking thing. <laughs> He's got like, you know, like the old timey like tech, tick marks they have on planes for like shooting down his for all the times he came back alive. Yeah. Yeah. Sucker. I'm as good as a nine kamikazes. <laughs> yeah. I'm basically an ace. <laughs> Skip across the fucking wall. Now, as kamikaze attacks continued, allied tactics against them improved. In one particular way, it was called the Big Blue Blanket, since apparently the American Navy sucked at naming things. Yeah, that's terrible. So that involved sending out advanced fighters and uh, like a picket group uh, out in front of the carrier force to shoot down as many kamikazes as they could before they come close. Because it quickly became apparent that they really only cared about the aircraft carriers. They want to take out battleships and aircraft carriers. So they send out... Um, anti-aircraft equipped ships and Ford uh, fighter aircraft to try to head them off. Yeah. The the now incredibly poorly trained kamikaze pilots went down pretty much instantly. (laughs) Yeah, I imagine that was stats day for some of the American pilots. Yeah. I'm an ace six times. That guy was 10. Oh, shit. Still got it. It counts. It was a plane. Uh, Now, the peak of kamikaze attacks would come during the Battle of Okinawa between April and June of 1945. And with those waves of attack came other Japanese suicide weapons. The first was the Kaiten, or the suicide torpedo. Some people don't think of it as a torpedo and think it was a submarine, a suicide submarine, which is not correct. Uh, the Kaiten was literally a torpedo with a guy seat inside. <laughs> uh, so the name Kaiten is also interchangeably used for suicide boats uh, that the Japanese had planned on using, but we're not here to talk about them. Those are just boats full of explosives right um the kaiten began development in 1944 it was designed to be loaded onto a regular submarine which would then kind of act as a mothership get close to what the target was and then just tow the kaiten close enough where it could pilot itself towards the target 
after which it would be launched and it would be guided towards a carrier or large shadow in the water or whatever, whatever the pilot could see. Yeah. At least that was the plan. Now, uh, the first Kai-10 was quite literally a torpedo with a seat on it. Um, rudimentary controls were installed as well as a few gauges so the pilot could kind of see where he was going. But they they weren't very good at that part because remember, this is not a submarine. It was a fucking torpedo uh, that the gauges really worked like shit and they put a little porthole window that would immediately fog up because it had a person inside yeah. of it. <laughs> so they just stick a guy blindly into the water and be like, go forth and do great things. Yeah. And he's just like, which way do I go? <laughs> Don't hit us. Um, now the design did begin to change, not always for the better. <laughs> the normal pilots for the Kai 10 were much like the kamikazes, young conscripts between the ages of 17 and 28. Uh, because the number of Kai 10s are very small, almost none of the would be pilots would actually train inside of the weapon they would end up using. So they would not even like sit in the seat until it's game day. <laughs> They're just sitting in like a car seat <laughs> or a car. <laughs> This is how it would be, more or less. Yeah, yeah pretty much. Yep, yep good enough. Uh, instead, so the train consists of having a trainee haul ass in a speedboat and then try to steer it only using periscopes and instrument panels. <laughs> speedboat. <laughs> this is Miami vicing it with fucking a blindfold on. Yeah. I know, like, the, some naval lieutenant's like, is this really going to work for a training? He's like, no, but they won't live to tell about it, so... If anybody asks, it worked great. <laughs> as bad as the training was, deployment of these weapons was actually somehow worse. So because they were, like I said, retrofitted fucking torpedoes, uh, there wasn't a whole lot of room for a person to sit inside. I feel like they were just holding on to it like Wiley e. Coyote. <laughs> <laughs> like, just, like, like the guy uh, riding the nuke all the way down, except yeah. he's just like, he has a uh, he's like a web belt around the waist of the torpedo. Let's get this mother... I don't know what a, a Texan Japanese person sounds like, but he's just... Yee-haw! <laughs> uh, now, there was a small seat carved out for them, uh, but the modification for that seat was, was half-assed at best. What do you think, like, an important part of if you're going to sit in something and then have it sink and you survive? Like, wa- being watertight would be important, right? Yeah. Yeah, they for they left that part out. Uh, so they kept flooding and drowning people. <laughs> <laughs> so it's all right. First miss, here we go. <laughs> Other times they would just randomly explode like they're made by fucking Acme. <laughs> like, oh, cool, I got one. The ones that's watertight. <laughs> yeah. I imagine the the engineers are going through a montage. Oh, that one's not watered. How you drown? I think I've quoted this fucking. I've brought up this episode of The Simpsons like eight times, but it's when Homer's trying to make cereal that catches on fire. Yeah, fuck. We're gonna have a montage. (laughs) It's just just teenagers exploding out in the bay. Yeah. (laughs) Oh man. So one thing that the early versions of uh, the torpedoes had uh, was was an escape hatch. So you see the the they're really like it's not even big enough for an escape hatch. It's just the door so you the, get in. The probably yeah, it's probably a screen door at this point. Um, well, our, the original plan was to jump in the Kai Ten, steer it towards a ship, which remember you couldn't fucking see, and then just jump out at the last second. The problem was it goes against like all kinds of laws of physics because these things get up going decently fast, 
and the water would make it so the escape hatch couldn't actually open. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so, oh, fuck. <laughs> like, oh, they told me I could escape. Fuck. You try to Starsky and Hutch out the fucking Kai 10. <laughs> but you can't. So they decided that, well, the escape hatch is the pro- problem for all the leaks. So we'll get rid of it. Oh, okay. <laughs> so now... Uh, the mothership would carry these Kaitens close to a target, which now forces the submarine to go pretty slow because the Kaitens are pretty big. Then the, the pilot would jump inside. And engineers would weld you inside of it. <laughs> so there, so I imagine while you're in, you're like, so where's that escape hatch you guys were talking about? It. Hold on a second. What's that Shinji? I didn't hear you. <laughs> yeah. That was an awful lot of sparks. That must be the escape hatch working. <laughs> yeah. We're just installing it. Uh, so another problem with a torpedo being launched from a submarine is you want to be hidden, right? Like, otherwise this whole system doesn't work. Like yeah. submarines are fucking armored. They're like sheet metal held the together with can. rivets. Yeah. Um, so you want to be deep or far away from your target. So the Kai 10 can only dive about 80 feet. Nice. <laughs> Which should be noted is shallow enough where it could be seen by the naked eye. <laughs> oh no. Death charges. <laughs> Uh, you could take it out of a fucking gun. Um, so this in turn limited the diving depth of the mother submarine. Because if, if you only have the diving depth of 80 feet, that means the mother submarine would have to rise up to at least 80 uh, feet. Probably more, sometimes even surface, to launch the <laughs> torpedo. Let's go. Fuck that guy. This meant that the submarines got that, that got blown out of the water as they attempted to line their kaitens up for an attack run. In the end... Only a couple of Kaitans that actually hit their target. So they did sink two American ships. Total. I honestly, imagine that's all some of them did. didn't even come up to the 80 and just launched them and said, yep, we did it. <laughs> just <laughs> got out of there. As the guy inside just strangles and dies from explosive decompression. Yeah. <laughs> wow, that torpedo's going awfully deep. So in the end, about 187 Allied sailors were killed by Kaitans in those two boats that they sank. Mm. Uh, how many pilots do you think died? 65. 106. <laughs> this included 15 in training. Uh, <laughs> as well as the eight submarines, the motherships, that were sank attempting to use Kaitens, killing another 900 sailors. Oh my god. Which means they are now like negative 700 sailors and this would be a good idea. <laughs> I think they're probably... Pitching this off, great idea. It still works. This is a good idea if you don't do the math. You yeah. th- you're thinking about it. Don't think about it so much. Yeah. So the next suicide weapon that would join the Kamikaze airwave at its peak at Okinawa was the Yokosuka MXY-7, or the Oka. Sounds like algebra. So in short, it was a human-guided cruise missile. And yes, it's exactly as awesome as you'd think. And here's why. I take back my whole thing with the whole acne strap. This is the one where the dude sits on top. Yeah, of it's it. just like a horse fucking saddle on top of a missile. Like, there you <laughs> go, dude. So the Oka was originally designed by an ensign in the Navy and a couple students at the University of Tokyo. Yeah, it was literally invented by college students. <laughs> Jesus, the sissies. The ensign was named uh, Mitsuo Ota, submitted his plans to the Imperial Japanese Navy, who then just said, fuck it, and gave it a shot. <laughs> at that point, yeah, they're at that fuck it stage. We're like, we'll try anything. Just throw enough shit to the wall, see what sticks. We're desperate. What, what's guiding it? More people? Fine, whatever. <laughs> we only have eight more of these plans. 
Um, they began testing in 1944, but actually testing uh, isn't important. And the reason why is because they actually began production before testing was done. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, really, who cares about safety? We're strapping this dude to a rocket. So the Model 11, which is the only one of the models that would ever see you, so it's the only one we're going to talk about, was about 19 feet long with a wingspan of 11 feet. Um, at its nose was a 1,200-kilogram wharf head that would be used to just crash just right into shit. It's a pretty big fucking a big bomb. Boy. That's a big-ass bomb. Now... The Oka is kind of like the airborne version of the Kai-10. It would be towed into battle by a Mitsubishi bomber known as a Betty. The problem, of course, being is Bettys are large and slow. Like the Kai-10, strapping more to a large and slow thing made them larger and slower and easier to shoot down. The Betty would get as close as they could, then drop the Oka. Once the pilot of the rocket had a target in mind, they'd kick on three fucking rocket engines that were strapped to their ass and shoot towards their target at over 500 miles an hour. Yeah. That's fucking rad, dude. <laughs> <laughs> like, I hope these guys are listening just like grinding death metal the whole time. <sighs> like the, These guys, if you put an Oka in Mad Max Fury Road, it would not be out of place. That'd be sweet too. Yeah, like the the, the guitar guy yeah, just Wee. straddling it. Sweet looks. Okay, just. and it also goes into competition for what I think is in our in our year and a half long podcast lifespan of the coolest fucking name of all time. Really, this there, is taking it. I think it is. Oh, we'll man. leave it to I'm a popular vote. It. Oh, I love names. The Japanese gave the pilots. The coolest name of all time. The Thunder God Core. Yes! <laughs> That's a fucking party. That just saying I'd party that, with them. Just saying that name out loud. I'd be a part makes of the you Thunder God Core. Pounds. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, I understand you don't want to guide a cruise missile, but what if I told you you'd be in the Thunder God Core? Like, fuck. Sign me the fuck <laughs> up right now. <laughs> My dick just got hard. And the Americans gave it a pretty funny nickname. The Baka Bomb. Which is Japanese for fool or idiot. It's the dumb bob. <laughs> full of idiots. Because they're launching a rocket into a ship. Yeah, but they're listening to heavy metal. Dude, they are the heavy metal. They have to. They, they have to be the most like motivational people on earth. Because, like, dude, I'm the, we're the thunder. Like, we're acting like we're oh, the... Oh, God. We're acting like we're the regular army. We're even the special attack units, guys. We are the thunder god core. Start acting like it. Yes, this is great. Now, unlike the heaps of abuse and strict discipline of the kamikaze the thunder god core pilots just kind of act like oh yeah they were soldiers they would get belligerently drunk fight each other their superiors and routinely sneak off base to fuck their way across town nice nice (laughs) so the thunder god core is basically the cool guys the thunder god the thunder god core is the chads of the imperial military Eventually, their commanders stop trying to control them and just promise, like, guys, just pinky promise me you'll show up whenever we have a mission. Hell yeah, Cause, bro. Because they're not really flying anything. They're, no, dude. They're just kind of pointing it in the general direction and hitting the go button. So, like, you don't have to be sober for that. Uh, now, before they would, they would normally get drunk and put uh, and save most of their money because they never really had to worry about buying anything. Um, and they would put several months of money uh, of of their paychecks they'd saved up and give it to a random family in town before they went off to fucking throw themselves into a ship. Fuck, that's cool. <laughs> yeah. 
huge uh, huge uh, givers these Thunder God Corps veterans. Yeah. Um, in in comparison, the kite you think they put it towards like a Thunderbird or something. They don't need it where they're going. Yeah. <laughs> I really hope before they crash, they said, "Witness me." Yeah. Just huffing spray paint. They're the fucking Chrome Boys of World War II. <laughs> um, and in comparison, the Kaiten pilots, uh, when they died, only when they died, uh, which was obviously a lot of the time, if if you remember the numbers, yeah, they'd give they'd be given 150 bucks and be sent to their family. <laughs> <laughs> it was just like a like a shoebox. This is your son. Like threw a bunch of like change in there. <laughs> this is what we think he's worth with inflation. Yeah. You owe us this at the end. Actually, your son was such a shitbag. You now have Kaiten debt. You have to give us another son. <laughs> yes, we're just going to dr- drag him out to the bay and he's going to die, but you still owe us one. Um, Now back to the regular kamikaze. They had begun to build purpose-built kamikaze planes rather than just retrofitting old ones with giant bombs on their face. Makes, makes sense. And they purposefully built the worst goddamn aircraft possibly of Hell World yeah. War II. Um, it was a pile of shit known as the Nakajima. Uh, now, remember, this is 1945, late 1944 Japan. They don't really have a lot of material laying around. So this, so growing up, when you like lived on leftovers and shit, um, did your mom ever just make a leftover casserole? Oh, what's left in the pantry soup? Yeah. Or fucking whatever she could make? This is the leftover casserole of airplanes. Yep. <laughs> sure, it flew, but you didn't want to fly it. <laughs> <laughs> Not like you're going to fly it for long. Yeah. So, it was built out of shit they just didn't have use for anymore, which is like bad grade metal that they couldn't make into literally anything else and wood. <laughs> a fucking World War One biplane would probably be better than this. I got a toothbrush, uh, some pocket lint. Got some floss. Is that a wheel? Oh, that's too good. Put it on one of the good French planes. dressing. French dressing. Just lather up the kamikaze <laughs> French dressing. Yeah. Um, they use shitty old engines that they just had lying around from the 20s and 30s. Not Fuck all it. of them had the same engine. Yeah, they don't so, need it. Uh, whichever plane would be vastly different than the other. You know what I just realized? You remember the guy that flew back nine times yeah. from his mission? Yeah. That was their most experienced pilot. <laughs> just fucking <laughs> killed. Yeah, all those years of experience. Um, so all this uh, like leftover shit made it virtually impossible to fly and very, very slow. Um, and that was before they slapped an 800-pound war, or sorry, 1,800-pound warhead to it. I want to see like the greaser Japanese guy who came up with his own plane that was a badass plane. Had like A-pangers and... <laughs> it had a fucking sweet blower and headers on it. <laughs> and it was just ripping across the sky. That's going to look really good crashing into a ship. I know. Wait, what? <laughs> uh, I, I don't know, man. Japanese car culture is so weird. Have you ever looked at it? Their cars are weird. It's it's a sight to behold as they have this like giant 18-foot-tall plastic monstrosity bumping down the road. It's outstanding. Some of the like the some of the places I went to cuz we went to a uh, for some reason, I don't know why, a car dealership in the area we're in Japan. Let's see if you get a really badly overpriced car alone <laughs> like any other good soldier. I couldn't find a single car that could fit either one of the people I was with. Oh, yeah. They have the mini cars that aren't. Oh, they were so small and yeah. I didn't understand where yeah. the engines went, were at. They're in the back. Like, 
I was like, where's the engine? They're so small that they can't be exported to the U.S. So they don't pass any fucking federal safety laws. But, oh. but they're super affordable. It's like a go-kart. Yeah, yeah. It's They're super affordable for like a normal Japanese person because like rent is so fucking high. Yeah. So like they're, I think they equal out to be like six grand. So they're for a brand new car. I mean, and they're like terrible for highway use. Yeah. It's like trying to fucking... It's like a Jeep Wrangler with a sail on it. <laughs> like my first car was a Jeep Wrangler with like a, a really? canvas top. It was a really shitty one. Like it wasn't cool. I'm not a Jeep guy, so I didn't give a fuck. <laughs> and but like if you got over 50 miles, 50, 60 mile an hour, it felt like you were you were breaking through the Earth's like atmosphere and re-entering the planet. <laughs> That's kind of what one of those cars is going over 50 miles an hour on the highway. So they're oh, like strictly God. for city use. They have their purpose, not like this goddamn plane, which is apparently made of a repurposed lawnmower engine in some wood. And in a lawn chair? <laughs> that's not a pilot seat. That's a lawn chair. Is that French dressing? It's all we had for a joystick. <laughs> Fish rocks. <laughs> so, according to a book on Japanese aircraft of World War II, the performance was abysmal, the visibility terrible, and it could not be safely flown by anybody. <laughs> so, only the skilled... You're saying can fly this? Yeah, only the their most skilled pilots could safely test this thing, and even th- so many of them died in testing that they just scrapped it. These guys are not smart. No, whole- I think all the smart ones are dead. I don't know their game. I really don't. <laughs> yeah, this is clearly the long con. But what? What? How's this end? <laughs> yeah. As it turns out, the Japanese high command did not see a problem that Kamikaze simply could not fix. Oh, yeah. Um, This being the late stages of the war, Allied strategic bombing had reduced most of Japan's industry to little more than fire and corpses. So they formed the 47th Air Regiment of the Special Attack Unit. Their job was to fly directly into B-29s that had been bombing the piss out of the country. Now, you can imagine how hard this is in your head. Imagine hitting a flying bomber with your own plane, all while dodging curtains of defensive fire that came out of these things from and. All that would call for like incredibly skilled piloting, which they didn't have. Um, yeah, it's just like impossible. It never worked, but they tried time and time again. Yeah. Uh, so many of these pilots flung themselves in the clown vein and died pretty quickly that they get like, well, we don't have any of them left anymore. I imagine they had a hard time getting up there. Yeah, most of them died uh, before they even came close because just the way our tactics work. Uh, during World War II is, you know, the, the planes were flying fortresses for a reason to fight off attacking fighters. That became even easier when they weren't trying to dodge the incoming and flying directly at you. Yep. Oh, wow, you made my job easier. Cool. And the formations were like that so they can cover each other. Right. And the supporting aircraft, which could follow them out to a certain distance. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Terrible. But that brings us back to the peak of the kamikaze's existence at Okinawa and what a fucking peak it was. Wave after wave of kamikaze pilots took off. Thousands in all. Really? Yeah. The kamikazes had adapted somewhat to the new American tactics to counter them. Instead of just going for carriers, the first wave would directly attack the ship's point in place to fight kamikaze. Uh, and then just kind of attrition warfare, but with kamikaze pilots. Didn't work, but it worked Sounds better than it did terrible. before. Uh, around 30 Allied ships would be sunk or damaged so badly that it had to be taken out of service. Uh, the main goal of defending the carriers worked. Uh, only smaller ships were were sank. Carriers got damaged, but they, they were pretty well protected. 
the plan did not work flawlessly. For instance, the USS Laffy, wonderful name, got hit with six fucking kamikazes. What kind of what kind of what kind of ship was it? It was a destroyer. It didn't fucking oh, sink. Oh god. It, it earned the nickname the ship that would not die. <laughs> cool. <laughs> like it's the only ship that like the fifth kamikaze was like, oh god damn it, here comes another one. <laughs> <laughs> I imagine the kamikaze like fuck another. Yeah, they the, the, imagine being the kamikazes that kept hitting it. Imagine being number six. Like, well, the sixth one should do the trick. I'll do it. Yeah, you just leave it alone. It's not going down. It, it's not working. I think they were expecting to see it actually go down into the ocean, <laughs> not just be damaged, but in the ocean. Hey, you're supposed to sink, not just be on fire. Uh, that's also during this battle that the U.S. found out a curious way of why their carriers were being rocked by kamikazes and the British allies were not. You see, the U.S. had wooden flight decks, uh, which sounds really strange, and it, it is, but um, they had wooden flight decks built into their carriers while the British had metal ones. The wood ones made fires spread much easier and were much harder to repair. According to a U.S. Uh, liaison officers with the British Royal Navy at the time. He said, quote, when one hits an, a U.S. carrier, means six months of repair. When one hits a limey carrier, it's just a case of sweepers man your brooms. <laughs> clean, up, clean up this mess. <laughs> oh, bugger. Oh, bugger. Get the brooms. Uh, I can honestly imagine, like, they're just looking at all the American carriers, like, fuck, there's a lot of sh- planes coming at them, and they're just looking at their blue open sky, like, <laughs> sweet. You know, it's weird that I never thought about World War II aircraft carriers having wooden flight decks. Yeah. Like, that'd have to be really hard and time uh, and time intensive to fix. I think the Japanese had wooden... I think they did. Yeah, and a few bombs would pop through the whole deck. Right, and that's pretty much what happened with Kamikaze. They bust through the deck a lot of the times and then just go right into the magazine or into the rest Fuck of the ship. Else, yeah, yeah. yeah. So after uh, Okinawa, however, the kamikaze had begun to lose its effectiveness as the war was now totally lost and allied tactics shifted to expect them now at every turn. They knew now that wherever they invaded, they'd be hitting kamikazes. That did not stop the Japanese from using them as one of their main interception weapons for the defense of their homeland. In the case of the Allied invasion of the Japanese homeland, like I said before, called Operation Downfall, the IJN, or the Imperial Japanese Navy, and the IJA, or the Imperial Japanese Army, had around 10,000 kamikazes ready to go. God. In comparison, during Okinawa, they used 2,000, with a hit rate of about one for nine. Now, the Laffy... Still not good. The Laffy kind of threw that statistic off a bit. Yeah, but, he did. Uh, during the downfall... Uh, sorry, during Operation Downfall and their downfall, they hope to make that number one for six. Oh. Which have been around 400 Allied ships in total. They're trying to raise their batting average. According to the End of the Japanese Empire by Richard Frank, that would have been equal to be about one third or even one half of the entire Allied fleet. Dead. Or at least fucked up pretty good yeah. by the Thunder God Corps. Oh, man, badass name. Yeah. But Operation Downfall never happened, and instead, Japan was nuked into surrender. Uh, In closing, I will quote the U.S. Air Force's World War II history page on the impact of these suicide attacks. Approximately 2,800 kamikazes sank 34 Navy ships, 
damaged 368 others, and killed 4,900 sailors, wounded another 4,800. Despite radar detection and queuing, airborne interception, attrition, and massive anti-aircraft barrages, 14% of kamikazes survived to score a direct hit on the ship. Nearly one point... Sorry, correction. Let me fucking say that whole goddamn thing over again. Fuck me. Quote, approximately 2,800 kamikaze attackers sank 34 Navy ships. Damaged... I gotta say the whole thing. Again. Almost there. He's gonna, have to, he's gonna have to cut all the way up until I said who I was quoting. Damn it. In closing, I will quote the U.S. Air Force's World War II history page on the impact of these suicide attackers. Approximately 2,800 kamikaze attackers sank 34 Navy ships, damaged 368 others, killed 4,900 sailors, and wounded another 4,800. Despite radar detection and queuing, airborne interception, attrition, and massive anti-aircraft barrages, 14% of kamikazes survived to score a direct hit on a ship. Nearly 8.5% of all ships hit by kamikazes sank, which kind of means their numbers sucked. Yeah. Less than 10%. Out of how many? They launched, uh, according to the U.S. Air Force's history page, 2,800 total. I don't have numbers to Jesus. to counter that. I think that makes sense because they didn't really ramp up to Okinawa. Right. So it makes sense that 800 got sent out up until they sent out the 2,000. Right. Um, but if you think about it, that's more than double of what they spent. That's that's two for one, which I mean, if you got nothing else going for you, but I mean, in the realm of material, the Kamikaze attacks never really slowed down the American Navy or the British Navy for that matter. No, they didn't do nothing. They're like, oh, we got more ships. Yeah, I mean, it, it sucked. It's it, it was better. It was a terrifying weapon. Yeah, yeah, it was a terror weapon. It, it was the Japanese version of the V one rocket, um, significantly more effective in your head than in in yeah. in practice. Um, I mean. That is suicide bombing. Because you're always... Like, <laughs> I imagine at the time, towards Okinawa, you've been on a ship go like doing all this island hopping. You're expecting bombs. All this shit. Dude's coming at you with a plane? Yeah. Fuck. I mean, and the, like you made a really good point about the terror weapon. Like it, it, It's a psychological warfare. A good example of that, Aaron and I kind of said it, suicide bombing. I cannot... I don't know the numbers of how many American soldiers have died in, in the forever war uh, as victims of, of, of suicide bombing, whether it be a car bomb or like a, a guy carrying a vest, but it's not that many. Um, but God damned if we aren't, weren't terrified of it. Yeah. Every, like they teach you like every single person that walked towards you might be wearing a fucking suicide vest, but like not that many people have died that way. People have certainly died that way, right. but not that many. Um, and it's like it, it, it's a f- footborne kamikaze. Like, yeah, a lot of ships got damaged. Statistically, you weren't going to be victimized by a, a kamikaze attack, right? Be a victim of a kamikaze attack, but like you were constantly worried unless you're about on the them. Laffy or the Laffy. Yeah, unless you're the Laffy, then you were 100 percent guaranteed. You're you were 600 percent guaranteed to get hit by a fucking kamikaze. Yeah, uh, I imagine after the fifth one, you're like. All right, it should be good. We should be good. <laughs> After the second one, like, they're not going to make it a hat trick. <laughs> yeah. Boom. Somewhere the entire Imperial Japanese Navy's throwing their hats off. Woo. <laughs> Fuck that same ship <laughs> again. Fuck that one ship in particular. Nobody else. 
like fuck. that's terrible. Luck. <laughs> I mean, imagine because like you're already worried about all the other fighters and bombers they're sending out because they yeah. were they were sending regular air force yeah. out to counter these ships, and you're like, oh, I'm shooting that one. Oh, I missed it. Oh, should he still come? He's still coming. Is he a kamikaze? Oh, no, he just dropped the bomb. We're good. We're good. <laughs> like, every plane they saw could be a kamikaze. Right. And I mean, that was probably more effective than uh, than the actual physical damage. I mean, that's why um, when the Japanese military managed to kind of sort of bomb continental United States with a balloon bomb, uh, the government immediately cracked down about it because yep. they didn't want anybody to be afraid of it. Yep. Yeah, fear is bad. F- fear saps morale. And, uh, yeah, I know I would be fucking terrified of a kamikaze. Oh, fuck yeah. I would especially be afraid of Thunder God Corps. Yeah, just for their name. Yeah. Like, wait, who are we fighting? The Thunder God Corps? We should probably surrender to the Emperor right now. Yeah. We gotta fight Thor? (laughs) You telling me that? I don't know what Japanese Thor would be, but he's probably more terrifying than whatever Hemsworth brother. Was it Liam? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) There's so many of them now. I don't know. The blonde one. I don't fucking know. The good looking. The very good looking one. Uh, that's our show for this week. Uh, now that Nick's boot is getting moist over Thor. Yeah, um, it is. Well, now that we brought up World War II in general and the Japanese, yep. I want to talk about the Aleutians. God. Oh, it's such a fucking hilarious operation. Yeah, it's such a fuck up. You gotta love invading an empty island and <laughs> still taking a ton of casualties. Um, but thank you for tuning in this week. Uh, if you think what we do is worth a dollar, you can give it, give us one on Patreon. You can get a bonus episode a month. You can get access to our communal Discord, The Hell of a Way to Die. Uh, you can get regular episodes early. And if you donate $5 or more, you get two motherfucking bonus episodes a month. Bam! A copy of my book, uh, which I understand is more of a punishment than a reward. And if you donate $10 or more, you get a free sticker. I guess it's not free because you paid for it. But I'll pay for the shipping and handling. Nice. Um, also, rate and review us on iTunes. Uh, that helps out greatly. Uh, shout out to the entire population of the Republic of Ireland, who apparently were huge in. I don't understand that. That's awesome. <laughs> um, what, what place are we in now? Like 600? We're up to 500. Oh, man. Yeah. yeah. Fuck. Yeah. I assume that will go up after Brexit happens. I'm not really sure what that means. I, think in one, I know it's bad. In one, one person in particular is probably going around to each Irish household and well, that, that's why we keep them on staff. Yeah. Everybody's got to have their pipe hitters. Yeah. <laughs> uh, thank you so much for tuning in. Um, and we'll see you next week. Later. Hey, everybody. It's Joe again. Um, I had to include this outro because I'm a hack and a fraud and I forgot to plug my own book signing. Uh, so if you're in the Pacific Northwest and you're a fan of military sci-fi, come on down to Seattle on September 29th at 4 p.m. Uh, at the Barnes & Noble's located on Pine Street. I'll be signing copies of Citizen of Earth, which will also be there for purchase. I can sign copies of the Hooligans of Kandahar you bring in, but there will be none there for purchase because of stupid publishing rules that I don't entirely understand. Uh, but if you bring it in, I can sign it, which is kind of cool. Also, if you are a fan of the podcast and you purchase a copy of Citizen of Earth, I have a limited amount of stickers that I will give out to you for free with uh, your purchase. So I hope to see you there. And if not, thanks for listening to the show.